Okay, we're going to start today by playing a game called What's That Noise? How it works is that uh, if you recognize this noise, then I want you to shout it out. So let's start with the first noise. Here we go. Okay, anyone recognize that? No. Okay, yep, did someone said dial up? Yep, dial up internet. Very good. Here's the second one. Okay. See lots of uh, blank faces. Okay. That, yeah, that is Windows 95. Obviously, you work with computers. Very good. Here's the third one. Yeah, Star Trek. Yeah, transporter beams. Star Trek transporter beams. Very good. Showing your age with that one. Okay. Yeah, typewriters. Every, yeah, very good. That one's easier. I see people recognize it. Anyone know what it is? Okay, let's hear it again. Okay, no. It is a Nokia ringtone, a Nokia cell phone. Yeah, there we go. This one. What is this? Okay, there we go. What is that? Yeah, it's a printer, but what type of printer? Anyone? Okay, he said dot matrix. Yeah, it's a dot matrix printer. Very, very good. And here's the last one. And the reason that these things bring back um, such powerful memories for us is a thing that neuroscientists call episodic memory. And there's an article in Psychology Today that explains that these sounds are connected with an episode in your life. So when you hear it, you're taken back to that moment in your history. Now, that moment, of course, no longer exists, but the memories and the emotions connected with it, well, they do. And so, in a sense, the scenario still exists in a powerful way. And all of this activity takes place in a part of our brain called the hippocampus. Now, this morning, we are going to look at our memories, more specifically at our regrets. We will look at the way that we often handle these memories, and then we're going to allow the Bible, hopefully, to show us a better way. Many of us have allowed regrets to make lunch meat 
out of us. We've allowed regret to stick us in a sandwich and it's eating us up. It's, it's, it's eating us up inside. It's in control of us. We've stalled in our lives and our walk with Jesus. We keep playing that memory like a stuck record and we can't stop. Neither can we stop the flood of self-condemnation that accompanies it. Now, and it's usually a regret that we cannot undo. We can still see it, we can smell it, we can feel it, we can touch it, we can taste it. And maybe not many people know about it, maybe no one knows, but we know, and that's enough. Now, this regret for us, this personal regret, has a name, it has a face, it has a moment. We are so used to it being there, part of us, that we cannot imagine life without it, this regret that causes us pain. And sometimes it's a sharp pain, so sharp that we can barely breathe. Sometimes it's just a dull ache, but it's always there, and we've learned somehow to live with it but we don't have to. Because here's what I want to say to you. This regret that is currently making lunch meat out of you, God wants to transform it into a launch pad for you. And he's the only one who's able to do this. So this is your choice today regarding regret. Are you its lunch meat or is it your launch pad? Morning. My name is Dan and I pastor here at Cornerstone, a church that is obsessed with knowing Jesus, growing Jesus, and showing him to others. He's stood in the entranceway of someone else's backyard. There's a fire roaring behind him. He can feel its warmth on his back. The sky's getting lighter and lighter. The sun is poised, ready to lift above the horizon. There are sounds of a sleeping community coming to life. It's a new day with all the hope and op- opportunities that a new day brings. On the surface, it's a pretty peaceful scene, but this man's eyes look anything but peaceful. They look anxious, exhausted, hunted. He looks like a man on the edge. Suddenly breaking into the silence and the soothing crackle of the fire, like a gunshot, the local rooster lets out an almighty cock-a-doodle-doo, and this man collapses to the floor and bursts into tears. His name is Peter. Flashing through his mind of what's happened through the past few hours, his friend, rabbi, master, Jesus, was arrested. Jesus is now inside the house on the second floor with the Jewish ruling council. Peter has no idea what's going on, just that it cannot be good. Peter casts his mind back to the arrest and what happened afterwards, chopping the servant's ear off and Jesus then healing him, running away with the rest of the disciples into the night, leaving Jesus all alone, then turning back and choosing to bravely follow Jesus into the courtyard of the home of the high priest, that little servant girl who out of nowhere said, you were with that Nazarene. His flat-out lie, I don't know or understand what you are talking about. How he moved away from the fire to the entranceway, uh, too fearful to remain by the fire, but somehow compelled not to leave. And that little girl who just wouldn't give up, wouldn't quit, now she announces it to the whole group, the soldiers, the servants, and everyone. This fellow was one of them. And again, he, he denied it. At some point, 
during these two incidences, the rooster crowed the first time, and the folks around Peter wouldn't let up. Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And Peter freaks out and says stuff from his fisherman days that, frankly, no follower of Jesus should say, and practically screamed at them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Idiot, idiot, idiot. The second time the rooster crows, and it rings as final as the sound of a hammer pinning a criminal to a cross. The sound of the second rooster causes an earlier unwelcome memory to flash through Peter's mind as he collapses to the floor. He's thinking about that moment just after the Last Supper, just before the garden, before the arrest, when Jesus tells them in a sad voice that brooks no argument, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee, Mark 14, 27. Simon Peter remembers like an idiot actually refuting Jesus. Refuting Jesus. Even if all fall away, I will not. Even if I, ha- if, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Stupid, stupid, stupid. He was so full of self-confidence, so full of himself that he had what it takes to follow Jesus and to stand by him. In that moment when he said it, it all felt so real. He would do what he said and yet still he failed. And that realization, that realization that Jesus knew Peter well enough to forewarn him that he would fail so spectacularly was just the icing on this foul-tasting cake of self-loathing and self-hatred. Jesus knew him far better than he knew himself. Jesus even got it right, down to the rooster crowing. And just like Peter, our past has a horrible habit of catching up with us. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Numbers 32, 23. These memories linger like a stain that can never be cleaned, and we have two choices. Either these regrets will eat us for lunch, or they can launch us into a deeper relationship with God than we've, never, than we've ever known. We are their lunch meat, or they are our launch pads. Let me explain. Well, it starts with choosing the right focus. Back in verse 27 of chapter 14, prior to the garden, the arrest and the trial, Peter said this, uh, Jesus said this to Peter, you will all fall away. Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, when we read this for the first time, it looks like Jesus is just making one big point that Peter and the others are gonna screw up big, big time. But let me remove some words and read it again. You will all fall away, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you. And here we see that Jesus is actually saying three things, not one thing. He says, you will fall away. He then says, I will rise. And thirdly, I will go ahead of you. And here's Peter's problem. He fixated on the first part. After Jesus said, you will all fall away, Peter stopped listening. He didn't hear the rest. Instead, he started arguing with Jesus, trying to prove to Jesus that he knows himself better than Jesus does but he should have kept listening. 
First, let's look at Jesus' words. You will all fall away. Jesus isn't fooled when we try to convince him that we are more holy or more dependable than we actually are. He knows that we're a mess. He knows that we're in a mess. He knows what's truly in our heart. Only God has the qualifications to test us and try us, to examine our hearts and minds. Psalm 26 verse 2 A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs 21, verse 2. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind. Jeremiah 20, verse 12. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Matthew 9, verse 4. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Our job is to come around to his way of thinking. In fact, the word confession means to say the same thing. So when we confess our sins to God, we're telling him what he already knows. We are literally saying the same thing about us that he's already saying about us. That is, that we are sinners. So how should Peter have responded to Jesus' words about him? Should he maybe have apologized in advance? Well, probably not. Should he have tried to avoid any situation that might put him in a difficult position where he might be tempted to fall away? Probably not, because the series of events happened so fast that the disciples had no choice but to react according to instinct. They were asleep, and one verse later, they are attacked. It's fight or flight, pure adrenaline, and Peter did actually both. He fought and he flew. But here's what he should have done. He should have taken Jesus' words to heart. Then he'd have had an accurate view of himself, a true view. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Romans 12 verse 3. You see, if Peter had accepted Jesus' assessment of him, he would have been less surprised when he fell away, and I believe he would have been faster to repent, faster to return, faster to come back. Someone once said that an indicator of spiritual maturity is not just uh, sinning less, but it's also repenting quicker. And that can only come from thinking of ourselves with sober judgment by agreeing with God's assessment of us that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. So let's not be like Peter. Let's think of ourselves with sober judgment and allow God to to judge our capacity and our our capability. Let's not be surprised when we fall, but instead let's turn and seek God's forgiveness straight away. Now, the second thing that Jesus said was this, but after I have risen. And if Peter had listened to this, he would have heard the resounding hope in these words, but after I have risen. Because Jesus is telling Peter that his failure, his sin, is not the end of the story. It's not terminal. The mess we've made is not the only truth. There's another truth And that is that Jesus has a method to get us out of this mess, his resurrection. Jesus is saying that our sin does not have to have the final say unless we let it. 
Jesus has the last word. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 and 20. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Romans 6 verse 4. Our hope is not found and will never be found in not sinning. Let me say that again. Our hope is not found and never will be found in not sinning. Our hope is deeper and greater. Our hope is in Jesus who kept from sinning for us, who had a perfect unblemished record for us. Through repentance and faith, that state of having a perfect record in God's sight is then transferred to us because of Jesus' death and resurrection. So while we should take sin seriously, we should never give it more credence than it warrants because we can never out-sin God's grace. We should never allow sin to loom larger in our minds and hearts than the glorious message of Jesus. But after I have risen. Lastly, Jesus said, I will go ahead of you. This simply means that Jesus still had meaningful, God-ordained work for Peter to do. Peter was not a write-off. He was not beyond salvaging. Even after Peter sinned in the most grievous way, Jesus still had a plan for him, a mission. And even better, Jesus said that he would meet him again. I will go ahead of you. Sometimes when we sin, we do things that we cannot undo. When someone has a divorce, they cannot undo that. When someone has sex outside of marriage, they cannot undo that. It's happened. When someone has spent all their life savings on casinos, they cannot undo that. When someone has an abortion, they cannot undo that. When someone has an affair, they cannot undo that. When someone loses custody of their kids due to substance abuse, they cannot undo that. When someone lashes out at their kids in anger, it cannot be undone. When someone says that hurtful, hurtful thing to the one that they love, they cannot undo that. When someone loses the trust of a loved one, it cannot be undone. It can be won back, but it cannot be undone. And that's why this verse is so key, because it encourages us to embrace this new reality in which we have sinned. Not an unforgivable sin, but an undoable sin. Just like Zacchaeus, we bravely choose not to avoid this life in which we have deep regrets, in which we have stuff that we can never undo. And Jesus meets us there, and he says, I will go ahead of you. That toothpaste is out of the tube and it's not going back in. And we try to scrape it up and tidy it up a bit. We try to hide it under a face cloth and hope that no one notices. But Jesus gently removes our hands, takes that old tube, throws it away and gives us a brand new one that's full and the lid is tight. In verse 28, we learn that Jesus knew that Peter and the disciples would go back to Galilee, to that place of Peter's childhood, to that place where, unable to get past his shame, he would be tempted to throw in the towel and go back to his old ways. 
Jesus knew this. And so he says, I will go ahead of you. I will meet you there, Peter. And indeed, he does. Not just with grace and restoration, as John 21, 15 tells us. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus doesn't meet him just with grace and restoration, but he also meets him with a fresh mandate, with brand new ministry, with clear marching orders. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter's not yet done. He still has a job to do. After our mess, Jesus still has a mission for us. And that's true for each of us. If you've done something that cannot be undone, don't let regret make lunch meat of you. Instead, make a launch pad of that regret and allow it to fling you into the grace of God. And you will experience a God that is greater and better and more loving and more gracious than you could ever imagine. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. So to answer the question, is there life and hope after committing a sin that you cannot undo? Yes, yes, thanks be to God, yes. Jesus' words in Mark 14, verse 27, sum up the gospel. Jesus says, you will all fall away. And yes, we have all fallen away. This is 100% true of 100% of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. And just like Peter, we fixate on Romans 3, 23. But there's more. There's also Romans 3, 24. And all are justified freely, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Romans 3.24. Jesus says, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you. In our place of regret, Jesus meets us. And he gives us a mandate and a purpose. Jesus gives us more than simply a new lease on life. We are actually released into new life. We aren't only saved to sit down. We're saved for service. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift, you, sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Luke 22, 31 to 32. Jesus doesn't just patch us up and set us aside on his trophy shelf. He makes us new and puts us back on the road again. That regret that caused us such shame is now repurposed for God's glory. What Peter learned in that place of darkness is now part of his toolbox. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers with all that you learned, all that you experienced at that moment. Strengthen your brothers. The Christian life is not one of convalescence. It's one of conquering. In fact, it's one of more than conquering. So if you're sat there and you know in your heart of hearts that there is something in your past that is hounding you, 
If you're listening to me and thinking of that thing that you did that you can never undo, if you hear that rooster and you're right back in that place, in that situation that cannot be undone, well, it's time to stop. This is the day when you stop allowing regret to make you its lunch meat. Stop allowing it to eat you up. Stop allowing it to spit out the pieces. Stop coming to Jesus with those pieces and just saying, this is all that I have left. Because through confessing your sin to God, you can make regret your launch pad into experiencing the God who is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all, all unrighteousness. You have fallen away. He has risen. He goes ahead of you.